Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Hold on to your butts and strap it and strap on, bitches, because we are back! Hey, we're back. Oh my God, we're back. It's been a month and all y'all were so sad. Welcome back to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties drink too much wine and whine about women that you definitely should have heard of but didn't hear of because of the fucking patriarchy. Fuck them. And also like, you know, racism and Sexism. homophobia and there's a whole lot of isms. Is, there's a say. lot of isms at play and none of them are good. Except feminism. Boom, brought it back. We're positive. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. I haven't started drinking yet. Yeah. But I did three lines of Coke. No, I'm kidding. I absolutely did not do that. <laughs> Jesus, when did you do that? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't drive on that. Oh my God. So we took a month long break. We basically t- we took all of April off because one, I was traveling and really busy and shit. And I was just like, I kind of need a break after we had a live show, which we'll tell you about. And Kelly. Kelly. I finished school. Kelly finished Yay. school. She can officially read. Oh, I forgot your fucking present. <laughs> why you did I not? Present? I did. Aww. And I don't know why I didn't bring it. It has been sitting on my kitchen table for entirely too long. But I'm just not used to coming and seeing you here anymore. Oh, no, so it's like, I didn't even think of like, is there anything I have to bring for Kelly? No, I just, I almost forgot my fucking you, computer. You just like, I'm going to see Kelly. That's yeah, no, the important I, thing. I practically left the house with no shoes on. It was, it was excessive. Um, Cause yeah, I just was very excited to come and see you. I even was like texting Kelly. I was like, Kelly, I want to see you. She's like, who are we covering? I'm like, I can't wait to see you. She's like, okay, <laughs> but seriously, to text who are, you back. But seriously, like, who are we covering? And I'm like, Miss you. <laughs> like, like she's like, Emily, I'm I'm trying to actually get shit done. And I'm like, I miss you. <laughs> I missed you too. I was basically my dogs when I walk in the door where I'm just like barking and it's like, no, I don't care what you're trying to do or tell me. I'm excited and this is happening. Right. I know I feel I felt bad that I never said like anything back, but That's okay. I know you secretly hate me. All the time. So much. Every day. So much. Yep. We we just pretend to be friends on this podcast. Yeah. We uh we are actually we're like the Spice Girls where we were selected from a massive audition of women and we allegedly had enough chemistry where they put us in a machine and made us podcasters. Yeah. And we're she, doing terribly she for leaves, <laughs> she leaves my house and it's like we just don't exist to each other. Oh yeah. Yeah, no. A- after this stops recording, the eyes go dead. No, no speaking. And I leave the house Yep. and I, I don't slam the door, but I close it very purposely. It's incredibly passive aggressive. It is. How Minnesotan of me. <laughs> That's why they picked you. Yes. Yeah. They're like, okay. They were like, okay, Kelly is intelligent and organized and like has business sense and has her shit together. And Emily just always seems like she's a little drunk. This'll be perfect because you always need like. The, the Charlie of the group, like the unhinged the one, you know, <laughs> I mean, the calm, quiet one that gets unhinged once they start drinking. And then yes. the one that's just always unhinged, perpetually unhinged. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Well, 
uh, to celebrate our grand return, we are returning to an old favorite of ours and drinking some sweet bitch. What's up, sweet bitch? Because we're sweet bitches That's and what so I was are say, you. Because we're sweet bitches. Yeah, and also this is a Minnesota wine. I'm pretty sure. Am there's, I? There's no lid on that, and you're oh, like, "Oh shit! Is there not?" <laughs> I'm like, "Hold on, hold no, on." It was let a me, corked bottle. Let me flip it around. Sorry, I thought it was a. I thought it was a twist off. Yeah, I'm like, you didn't spill, but it was dangerously close. I'm like close. turning it horizontal. Like, let me read this. Oh, actually, sorry, it's from Huntington, New York. I thought it was a Minnesota wine because it was on the same shelf as the Minnesota wines when I went to look for them once, but they were not under the Minnesota wines. It was a, it was a Those poor bitches, organization they're trying, thing. They're trying to sneak in there with the cool people. You know what? North Star Liquor, get your organizational skills together. Although I did have a lovely chat with one of the guys working the counter. Aww. And uh, man, I, I can't remember I if I said something or my card was being weird. I'm like, sorry, it'd be so difficult. You know, that's just, that's just who I am. He's like, I'm a middle school teacher. You can't phase me. And I was <laughs> like, okay, first of all, sir, Thank you. <laughs> I salute you. Second of all, how sad is that that you have to work at a liquor store while you're a fucking middle school teacher? Yeah. Or is it just for the discount? Yeah, it's the discount. Because I would, I would work at a liquor store for the discount. All right, so... This says nothing on the back, but it has a picture of like a cute little white wolf on the back. And then like a woman's sultry eyes on the front. It says, sweet bitch, a smooth and fruity Moscato Rosé. And remember, according to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages during pregnancy. Yes. So I think we should cheers to... We're back, we're back, we're back. Da-na-na-na-na-na. Ooh. Ooh, that was, was well-timed. That was a lovely clink. Very sensual clink. I just have Guess Who's Back mm. stuck in my head now. How's that song go? Guess Who's Back, Back, Oh, back, my God! Okay, here's how stupid I am. I was trying to think of a song that was like... We're back, done, like, and I could not think of one. Whining's back. All right. God damn it. <laughs> Was I, can, I alive I've in the these, 90s? I've had these running through my head for the last, like, week. Was I even alive in the 90s? Clearly, I should have introed today. <laughs> Whining's back. All right. I will say dun, that song dun, came dun, on dun, when I was walking around dun. the skyways with Jory one time, and we fucking got down. Oh, no, no, no. no. It was bye bye bye. Yeah, it's always and bye, we bye, like bye 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 bye. Were you even an, a girl in the nineties? If you I was, don't know the bye 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 dance, like that, at least that one part of the dance. I know that part. I don't know anything else because I was an aggressive tomboy with an uh, anti mainstream mother. Who, when I was like, I kind of like Britney Spears. She's like, Britney Spears is trash. See, I because was, my mom hated all pop music. I mean, because we were fairly young in the '90s. We were so we were like babies. below. Yeah, we were below that age demographic. But I had a sister who was six years older than yeah. me, who was like right in that age like demographic. Yeah. But I wanted to be cool like her. And I, my neighbor across the street, she had a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, my mom wouldn't buy me a Britney Spears or NSYNC or Backstreet Boys CD. And then we would also listen to the like oldies station or like the uh, adult contemporary like i didn't hear stacy's mom when it first came out for a while like there's a lot of stuff there hey don't you talk about stacy's mom because she has got it going on 
She is all that I want. And I have waited for so long, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly, can't you, you clearly see? Did. You're just not the podcast partner for me. I know it might be wrong, but I want a podcast with Stacy's mom. Do you even know anyone named Stacy? I wish I did. Hey, Stacy's, hit me up. I want to make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to find a Stacy. I'm going to befriend her. I'm going to meet her mom and then just start singing the entire song and like do a little sexy dance it's gonna and be fantastic away. yeah i will <laughs> never, never contact them again i will never see stacy or her mother ever again <laughs> never but it's all for the bit because you know what you gotta commit to the bit okay so Today, we are whining about one woman that I've whined about before, and Kelly's whining about a woman that you haven't heard of before, but as you may or may not have heard of, we had our first live debut at the Olmstead Olmstead County History Center. People laughed, and I was terrified no one was going to laugh at the jokes. My my favorite part was after. I was talking to my mother-in-law who was there, and she was like, I'm so sorry I laughed. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, if you hadn't laughed, I would have died inside, and then I would have stopped talking. Yeah, I was talking with my fella, and I was like, what if I'm not funny when I'm sober and can't swear? What if I'm not funny? Like, yeah. I, I was nervous. And then, like, the first time people laughed at our jokes and our slides, I was like, okay, we got this. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we settled into it pretty well. But uh, we were invited to perform at the Olmsted County History Center for their uh, closing reception for Women's History Month. They had their super cool display out, uh, which Kelly and I visited before and got to visit again. Yeah. Um, we covered a couple of super local Rochester, Minnesota women uh, who are really important to the Mayo Clinic, which is kind of the only reason anyone knows that our city exists. Never heard of yep. it. Um, it's kind of a big deal. And it was a family-friendly event. And there were a, there were several people there who just like come to the History Center events regardless. And the History Center definitely has an audience that's a little older. So Kelly and I were 100% terrified because yeah. we're like, we can't drink. We can't swear. And like, what if people don't think we're funny? Right. Fortunately. I was, like, I was more worried about the last one. I was, I was a little worried. Like the, the drinking kind of sucks. The swearing, I was like, what if I accidentally swear? <laughs> like, what if it just comes out? And then the last one, I was like, oh, God, what if we're not funny? Yeah. Um, but we had a lot of our, like, family and friends show up. Like, they had to set out more tables and chairs. They're like, we were not ready for this. And I'm like, you're damn right you weren't. Whining about her story rolls up with the posse, bitches. Right. I would say, like, 75% of the audience was probably people we knew. There was, like, one table of, like, six people that there was we had one no idea who they were. section. Yeah. There was one slice of the pie chart of that table that was people we didn't know. But one of them was the author who wrote the book on the woman Kelly is covering. And we found that out one the day the before. Yes. Yeah, one of the books. Yeah, they we just found casually that- were like, oh, by the way, this author might show up. And I'm like, what? We're like, what do you mean someone can call us out on our bullshit yeah, right. in real time? <laughs> we have a podcast. We wait for the backlash after the release, not right. in the moment. <laughs> They're going to find out we're not a real history podcast. <laughs> not that we've ever claimed to be, but... But no, it More went really well. Reviews. Not a history podcast. Not a, if you're looking for a serious his discussion on history, 
discussion slash lecture on history. This is not the podcast for you. Damn right it's not. Wines in the name, bitches. Yes. Um, but it went really well. The author actually came and talked to both Kelly and I and was like, you did so well. And like, that was, it was really cool to see the information presented in that way. We had a slideshow that I had entirely too much fun with. There were lots of emojis and lots of old timey, like, faces cut out of old pictures and put on inappropriate, like, photos and babies. Because I had to depict your lady as a baby a few times. And that was a lot of fun for me. But we will post that probably on our on our Patreon if you want to look at it. And definitely just, you can kind of, like, click along with it. I thought it was funny, but again... I don't know if I'm funny when I'm sober. I think you are. Oh, thank you. I You, you kind of like wiggled your head. Like you're like, eh. I was like, really? You think you're not? I'm like, Kelly, don't do this to me. Don't do this <laughs> right here, right now. But yeah, it was awesome. Uh, even though my mother called me like a half hour before I needed to be at the History Center. And she's like, so when does this thing start? I was like, well, the whole event starts at, you know, this time, but we're not going on until like an hour in to give people time to like get food and drinks and that kind of thing. And she's like, okay, so like what time do I have to be there? I was like, well, you know, you should show up when it starts so you can look at the exhibit. And she's like, well, I'm really just going to this thing for you. So what time do I have to be? I was like, God damn it, mom. <laughs> I love you too. Right. Uh, and then they Irish goodbyed me. Did they really? Did they just nope yeah. out of there? Yeah, they... Like, I obviously got a chance to talk to my parents. They're like, you did really well, blah, blah, blah. My, my mom did look at the exhibit. My mom got to meet your parents. For the, for the first, first time. time. Yeah, because when I had your bridal shower at my house, my mom specifically was like, I'm not being here for this because I hate people. And I love your mom, though, because she, oh, yeah. she helped set up everything. And then, yeah, just like noped out before everyone else yeah. showed up. Yeah, no, my mom is definitely at that point where she's like, ooh, socializing with strangers and making small talk. I don't have time for that. I'd rather like do literally anything else. And I respect the hell out of her for that. But yeah, like I saw, I saw them looking at the exhibit. And then at one point we were going to take photos. I was like, oh, let me just say bye to my parents really quick before they leave. And you're like, they left. And I'm like, when the fuck did they leave? They didn't say anything. That's super funny. That is very my parents. Is it? Yeah. I love them so much. All right. Well, Kelly, now that we've done enough preamble... And now that we actually get to tell these stories with wine and we get to swear, I'm very excited because I kind because obviously I kind of know your story already. Right. But I'm also re-experiencing it. And in a wine of wine. Haze, yes. Through this rosy ro- Moscato rosé. It's good. All right. So, Kelly, who are you whining about? Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Uh, <laughs> uh. We're just so excited to be back together, guys. okay i am whining about edith graham mayo damn right you are fuck yeah i just saw her picture because i had to get my eyes checked out at at mayo and i passed by that little museum that they have in the mayo building Mm -hmm. and they have like the the family photos and everything i was like i know that bitch (laughs) i fucking know her we go way back (laughs) we have a secret handshake and everything that's impressive. Oh, yeah. So Edith was born on February 12th, 1867 on a farm in Calamar Township, Minnesota. It's about six and a half miles northeast of Rochester, but very, so, very close to home. So like you pass it when you're going to the cities. 
Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you do not go there. No. <laughs> that's, all, that's like not most, on 52. It's probably like off of 52. I know, but I feel like that's so much of Minnesota and a lot of these like small towns between Rochester and the cities. Cannon Falls has a draw to it, but it's just you just drive right through. Ooh. I don't know what that was. Ooh, that was the wine bubbling inside you with anticipation. Yeah. Wow. Uh. <laughs> Anyways. We, we should have spent more time together because we're both just like, oh my God, everything she says is so funny because I just missed her. We're like high on each other. We are. We saw each other like once. Yeah. It was awesome. We had food and drinks, which is very yeah. on brand yeah. for us. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Edith was the 10th of 13 Graham children because they liked to pop them out back in the day. I have to say, like, and this is something I could not say during the live show. At some point, her mother just could not walk anymore. And literally all she could do was have sex on her back and pop out children. <laughs> like, that is an insane amount of children. It is. It is. Like, yeah. Oh. But... You're wrong. She wasn't just bedridden forever. Edith's mother was actually a really well-respected midwife in her community. And both of her parents would impress upon her the importance of education. Like, they're like, no, you're getting educated. I don't care that you're a girl. You're getting educated. And that's actually even more rare because not only is she a girl, she's a farm kid. Yeah. Like, even the men in farm families a lot of times wouldn't get education because they needed to be like to help out on the farm. It's it's one thing for there to be some sense of gender equity with the work on the farm because it's like I don't care right. what we your just gender your is if you can pull push pull the plow. I'm I'm such a city person. I don't know if you pull or push a plow. <laughs> Generally, you have the cows. I was going to say the cows or... pull it and you push it because yes, you're like guiding you like steer it. it yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't care what's between your legs or what your gender is. If you can guide a plow, you can guide a plow. Like the fields need to get plowed. And apparently so did his mother. Um, So because of this, Edith and her siblings would walk a mile and three quarters uphill in snow both ways to the Kalmar Township District School 24. Because when you're a tiny town, you don't need to name your schools. Nope, nope. Also, I'm shocked that there was 24 districts of anything at the time. Oh, this is like, what, 1800s? 1860. 1860. Okay, but Minnesota's still kind of... eighteen, Probably 1870s by now. Yeah, it, there, there's still a lot of... It, it's not, especially this area, is not as far from being a city. Right. So when Edith was 13, she would write an essay called Women's Rights because she was way a fucking head of her time. And it was, I, I read it. It's it's like a three-page essay, which I'm not going to repeat all of. Um, you can go and you, you can find it, I believe. Um, but basically, it's a wonderful essay about how women have just as much right to vote as men. She even talks about uh, where you see one smart man, you see a dozen smart women because fuck yeah. Um like, seriously, like, way to throw shade in a paper, 13-year-old Edith. You know what, though? Every kid goes through their teenage feminism phase, and then they grow out of it, and they, you know, become victims of the patriarchy. Right. No, I'm kidding. Parents, is your child experimenting with feminism? Do they say things like, I think men and women should have equal rights? Or do they assert that women should have the right to vote? Or do they talk about the pay discrepancy in the gender pay gap they may just be a suffragette watch for this in your children (laughs) 
Hashtag early, watch for early feminism. When caught early, it can be treated. It can be treated. With severe misogyny. (laughs) Uh, She would also go on to discuss how women should be allowed to be president and everything like that. Like I said, young Edith was very much ahead of her time because she would have to wait another 40 years after this essay to see women get the ability to vote. And we haven't even seen a woman president. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that like... The options we've had have been fantastic. No, no, no. no. What I'm saying is, like, to have a president who's a woman, like, it's not like. I'm not I'm not saying we should have a president who's a woman because she's a woman. I'm saying it is insane. Statistically, it is the year 2023 and we have not had a woman president. And actually, just in the last, like, eight so years, a little more than that, because, you know, yeah. um, when Obama was running, we had a serious, like, candidate. Pr- primary party candidate who was running for president, who was a woman. Like, yeah. that had never happened before. No, I think I think we'd had women run it for, like, third parties or independent parties, but or they never, never the became, primary, too. They never became the primary candidate, because Shirley Chisholm ran under the Democratic banner didn't she but she was not she didn't yeah she didn't get chosen as their final candidate yes yes that's why i'm saying and then i do think she ran third party probably i'd have to double check my notes the dems weren't ready for her yet no they still aren't which is sad so after completing her her education in good old olmstead county that's the county we're in olmstead um she would go on to teach in that area until she was around 20 years old. It was then that Edith, her sister Dinah, and her friend Alice McGaw, as well as another friend, would all go to study nursing together and would apply at the Chicago Hospital for Women and Children. Spoiler alert, they got in. They were going to go be nurses. One of the few things women could do at the time. Edith's like, well, I already taught, and that was fine, but I'm ready to do the. I'm ready to do... One of the other three things women are allowed to be, which is a nurse and then a mother and wife. Right. She's like, mm, I got time for that later. It's the, it's the ultimate holy trinity <laughs> of womanhood. Right. Nurse, teacher, mother, wife. <laughs> which I know Maybe is four. wife, mother. Here's the thing. I like, I know that's technically four, but like the way we, we do yeah. it, the Catholics, you know, it's a father, father, son, son holy, holy spirit. Yeah, we don't one. say ghosts anymore. That's too. I still say ghosts. That's too spooky for us. We got to make it all. I like to be spooky. Fun. I do too, which is why I was so disappointed. I was like, why don't we say ghost? Because I'm reading all these ghost books, and it's like, well, because you know, spirit is more spiritual. I'm like, that's dumb. <laughs> There's ghosts in your blood. Let's do cocaine about it. I don't know. How old were you when you're saying these things? Um. Okay. Cocaine may not have been in there, but it was in the spirit of what I was okay. saying as like a seven-year-old reading ghost stories sounds accurate by the way olmstead county is named after david olmstead who was the first mayor of saint paul but never a resident of the county named for him i like that you're googling olmstead county facts because i literally never figured out where i was like why do we call it olmstead I, don't, I couldn't tell you why any of the other ones are named why what they're named. Yeah, but I don't live in those. I don't care about them. Dodge County is named that because you want to go around it. <laughs> You're like, nope. 
<laughs> you're terrible. I'm 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 coming after Minnesota. Apparently. apparently, here's the thing: it's like your siblings. Other people can't make fun of them, but you, you can. can. Yeah. I get to make fun of everything Minnesotan because I love it. Um. So. Leaving home must have taken a lot of courage for Edith, Dinah, and Alice and their friend. Because not only are these girls going away from home, which women rarely did in those days, unless they were getting married and moving in with their husband, but they were going from, you know, Kalmar Township, so small that it's not even like a proper town or city, Mm -hmm. to Chicago. Which even at this time... Big fucking deal. Also, I never put this together. Alice and Dinah? Yeah. I, I was surprised you never put... Don't scream. Oh, my God. I named my I named my first cat Dinah after the cat from Alice in Wonderland. Because I love that movie. And she was so mentally disturbed. The book is really good, too. The book is very good. And Dinah is adorable in that, too. But, yeah, I never put that together. Alice and Dinah. Okay. That's super funny. Someone have a child so I can name them Dinah. Just, I need, I need that. We need more Dinahs in this world. Mm. Yeah. Dinah, row the boat ashore. Holly. That's not the song. It's like, <laughs> what? I couldn't, oh, someone's in the kitchen with yeah, Dinah. Yeah, that's the one I was trying I'm to like, think I'm like, crap, of. there's a folk song with Dinah. And I got that mixed up with, um, who rows the boat ashore? Kelly, you wrote the boat ashore. Dinah wrote. <laughs> I know that's like a Bible song. And I, I can't have remember. no idea. Is it Joseph? About. There's so many Josephs in the Bible. <laughs> Kelly's googling. I have to know. Oh my god, is it Moses? No, he was really Moses. good about not being in the water. Would it be? I mean, maybe. is it Michael? Michael wrote yeah. the boat. Who's yep. Michael? It's Michael. Is he, he's one of the apostles, right? Fuck if I know. The Pope is coming right now to rescind my Catholic card. All right. Let's get back, <laughs> let's get back to Edith. We're way off track. Oh, my God. But we couldn't do this during the show. Um, so, yes. Like Emily said, Chicago was a huge city at the time. It had nearly a million people coming from probably a town of, like, 50. Five. <laughs> and you're related to exactly. three of them. <laughs> okay. Her, her mother... Had 13 children. Right. That's like most of the town. That's 15 people in one family. You are related to like 90% of that town. Yeah, I knew everyone I went to school with. I mean, they were all related to me, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I changed some of their diapers, but don't make a thing of it. (laughs) Why are you making it weird? So it would take Edith two years to graduate nursing school. Her sister Dinah would take an extra year because she got sick during their time and had to take some time off. But upon graduation in April 1889, Edith was assigned to work for a Chicago physician. I could not find this dude's name because I really wanted to put him on blast, even though he's definitely dead by now. Don't care. Wanted to put him on blast anyways. We want to dance on his grave. Yeah. Yeah. I I want want to look him up. Not in a nice way. Like stiletto. There is, Kelly, there is no angry dancing. Nice to dance on your grave. I have never heard the term dance on your grave used in a celebratory I mean, if manner. I, if I was dead and you came and did a sexy dance on my grave, 100%. Okay, that's it. not a dance on your grave. That's a lap dance to your grave. 
I am thrusting to your grave. I'm not like dancing on top of you. I'm dancing to you. I am, okay. Like, I see the difference. You will feel me in your ghost body. But to dance on someone's grave is never a positive thing. Okay. The reason I want to dance on this guy's grave, though, is because when Edith reported to work, she was immediately fired because the physician looked at her and went, nope, you're too young and too pretty. Which we've heard this before in one of my other nursing stories. Oh, um, I think it was like Violet Jessup who survived all those ship sinkings. Maybe. She was also said to be like too pretty and that, young to that do That happened, things. particularly in the war. Like they were like, yeah, we yeah. need your help and you'll distract the soldiers. Civ- Civil War nurses... Even the ones chosen by female nurses yeah. could not be too pretty. It was someone that I covered that that's what she got yeah. told. Then she got sent to like the mail room or something. They yeah. Were like, yeah, you can still do something. Where it's like, wow, there really is no winning. You're too pretty. You're not pretty enough. You're too slutty. You're not slutty enough. You, right. Like, like it's you can't this, win. It's this impossible balance of expectations where you have to be in this perfect middle that literally does not exist. Right. You have to be like that person that can just blend into the shadows. Yeah. Be a plain Jane. Even then, you're going to... Oh, right, well, they're going to be like, why don't you ever wear makeup? You right. know, you'd be so much prettier and then you if you wear smile. makeup, and it's like, you're too pretty. You can't be here. Oh, my God. You're, why are you so slutty? Yeah. God, yeah, only slay girls. I'm going to take you swimming on our first date just to see what you really look like. Cool. Yeah. I So, I get a lot of video, like, makeup video tutorials that, of course, I never actually... <laughs> Right. But like they show up on my feed and a lot of the comments like for men are like, oh, my God, I would take you swimming in our first date just to see what you actually look like. I'm like, first of all, this is obviously like really elaborate makeup that they're doing for a video. Second of all, bold of you to assume anyone would go out with you, you piece of literal trash. Right. Yeah. No. Enjoy dick cancer. Anyway, what about Edith being too hot? Too Too hot hot to trot. So, because obviously uh, Chicago physicians, or at least that Chicago physician was an asshole, um, Edith would return to Rochester and would get accepted, well, offered and accept a job from Dr. William Worrell Mayo, who said, quote, or who was, quote, not a man to allow beauty to obscure professional qualifications. Good. You're a person. What a, what a, (laughs) what an oddly specific but basic thing to be applauded for right it's like was not one to use the n-word or was not one to assault people randomly it's like yeah this is not this is not something people should be doing right (laughs) was not one to not use their blinker like (laughs) Like 90% oh, of people in funny. Minnesota. I mean, you know that's who like you are. everywhere. You fucking know who you are. So Dr. Mayo saw Edith's intelligence, skill, and her care with patients. He would train Edith to be his anesthetist. And up until now, most um, anesthesia was done by male interns. However, they because they were like doctoral interns, not like nurses or anesthetists, because back then, you know, the distinction was gray. Um but these interns would keep getting distracted because they'd want to watch what the doctor was doing to learn it instead of paying attention to the patient and making sure they're still under anesthesia for this horribly painful procedure. But tell me again how smartphones are distracting us right. and destroying society. 
This is just who we are, people. Also, can you imagine you're hovering over someone's face, making sure they're anesthetized, and you're like peeking open at their over peeking over at their open chest cavity, and then the person like starts to starts to wake up. You're like, oh shit, 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 shit. It's worse than getting caught texting in class, where it's like, oh, someone might actually die right now. Yeah. So good old WW. As we affectionately call him yes. in Rochester. W-W-W. W-W Mayo. Um, but he would teach Edith how to give chloroform because that's what was used back in the day. Emily will talk more about that later. Um, and monitor the patients because that's the important part. The past is a nightmare. Uh, she would soon excel at this work and just in time for the St. Mary's Hospital to open in September 30th, 1889. Providing, at the time, state-of-the-art facilities for the growing surgical practice of the doctor's mayo. So basically, the doctoring went on inside. That's what they mean by state-of-the-art in the 1800s. Yes, exactly. The- <laughs> like, you have to come to the hospital. The hospital does not come to you. Yes, which actually, WW, so all of them did, all three he, of them. They, they all made house calls, but WW, he had many careers throughout his life before he became Dr. WW. Um and yeah, like the idea of Rochester, like having a proper hospital was just not a thing. But lucky for us, we had a horrible tornado that ripped through here and killed a bunch Emily's of people. Emily's just cutting into my story. Uh, she do you talk about me. the yes! tornado? I forgot. I forgot. I'm sorry. I have this whole little section in the next part that says, for those of you who don't live in Rochester Tell and me don't about know the, the Mayo Clinic. I also talk about WW. So William Worrell or WW Mayo was originally from England. Yep. But you didn't have one of those posh accents. Maybe he talked he like, oh, I'm going to have to cut your leg off right there. What? What? Here's I really, a, I really here's a hope nip of did. brandy for you. Lie back and think of England, don't you know? <laughs> God, we're going to get canceled for that. <laughs> hey, hey, tell me it's not true. <laughs> so he came to the U.S. and originally worked at Bellevue Hospital and then would move around several times. He basically just was like, mm, I'm going to do whatever I want. And he would eventually settle in Minnesota for what he would call a healthier climate. Clearly, he came here like in the summer because winter is not a healthier climate. No. And then it snowed and he physically could not leave. Right, he's and like, then, shit. And then by the time everything melted, he felt too stupid to admit no, his No, by that point, mistake. he had Stockholm syndrome and yes. was just like, it's great here it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the wind yeah that, that's a thing um well ha- so he originally started in lasur minnesota and he would also like emily said try his hand at another a number of ventures he was like a farmer he did he literally did like a little bit of everything he was in the civil war i think he did doctoring for this during the civil war yeah that comes next in 1863, Dr. Mayo was named examining surgeon for the first Minnesota draft board, which was headquartered here in Rochester. He would leave his family for the position because Lusur and Rochester aren't that close together and would find Rochester to his liking. So it would bring his family later in the year or technically early in the next year. Um, and he would open his own medical practice here and grow his family, which would go on to include two sons, Will and Charlie, as well as two daughters i believe who we never hear about yep because they did not become doctors but they were badasses in their own right stay tuned yes um so this is what is if you ever go to the, any of the mayo clinics that's what's big the called the beginning of the mayo clinic story yes. or this is the beginning basically yes on august 21st 1883 a tornado a very very bad tornado like ripped through rochester destroyed like 
I want to say half the town, but I don't know if I actually know if that's accurate. I don't have the tornado details in my notes. So something something that's bad. Something that's interesting, and I didn't know they had this at the the history center where we performed, but I was running around with Q after. There is a piece of shrapnel of metal that went all the way through a tree, like a tree trunk, and someone after the tornado found it. And they cut the top and the bottom off to preserve the shrapnel stuck in the tree. And that is on display at the Olmsted County History Center. So that that just gives you an idea. This metal went through a literal tree trunk and yeah. it is still preserved today yeah. because that tornado fucked us sideways. Yeah, it was bad. It was <laughs> like it did destroy a good chunk of the town. It was really bad. Lots of people got hurt. Like, yeah, it was really bad. Anyways. So WW would recruit the local Sisters of St. Francis, a bunch of nuns um, here to be nurses during this time. Like, and this was like, they were putting people in hotels. People were taking people in their home. Like there were literally people injured everywhere and they were just putting them wherever they could because they were no central location for them to go. It was like dying people were your your messy drunk junk yeah. drawer. We're like, I don't know, just put it there. I don't know where don't else know. it's supposed to go. Just put it with the other ones. Put it next to that dead battery. Oh shit, the battery's dead. We should deal with that. Yeah. It's fine. Um Mayo would also recruit his sons cuz Will had just finished medical school and Charlie when it was in his final medical school year, so they were able to come and assist their father in the care for the victims. Um Mother Alfred Mose, who was the leaders of the Sister St. Francis at, t- at the time, was convinced that a full-fledged hospital was needed in Rochester. Basically, she looked around at all this and was like, this is not okay. Maybe we shouldn't be putting people in essentially drunk do- drunk Dormitories. drunk drawers yeah. of healthcare. Exactly. Like, mm, like maybe, can you, maybe that semi-healthy person shouldn't go next to that definitely dead person. Or like, can you imagine if someone knocked on your door and was like, hey, we have some dead and or dying and or injured people could we like put them in your house my dogs would be all over those people they would definitely get some kind of weird chihuahua based infection yeah arthur would would like bat at their wounds because he's a dick (laughs) so she would go and approach ww mayo to, to head this hospital that she was envisioning she was like i'll pay for it if you doctor it and I mean, like any sensible person, WW was like, sh- sure. I also partially believe, I mean, I wasn't there, but like her story had canon that he was probably like, you're never going to raise the funds. So sure. Yeah. No, that, that why is, not? That is always how I've imagined that interaction where she's like, hey, if we raise the money, you got to staff it. And he's, he's like, like, good luck, lady. Fat chance. Sure. Whatever. Never expecting you have to come up on. It. And then she comes back a few days later with a stack of cash and she's right. just like, she drops on his desk, does the sign of the cross, and walks away. <laughs> does the, like, bitch motion. Can I just doesn't... say, like, okay, like, obviously I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, and, like, I have issues with organized religion. You do not fuck with nuns. You never you... fuck with nuns. Right. So they have, like, portraits of all the, like, important nuns through Mayo's history in this hallway. They mm-hmm. all look scary as shit. Oh, yeah. They all look like my elementary school yep. principal who never smiled in any of her yearbook See, our photos. principal wasn't a nun, but, like, we had plenty of them. I still remember her sister, Anne-Marie. I am convinced she's still alive, even though Probably. she was ancient when she was my principal. Like, God will die. not let that woman die. <laughs> She's just pickling somewhere, <laughs> scowling and putting the fear of God into children. That's funny. So um, 
Mother Alfred um, would raise the money, and then under her direction, St. Mary's Hospital would be built, and it would open in 1889. So the original hospital, this is definitely not what it's like now. They they continuously build wings. There's hundreds of beds. It's Yeah, it's a thing. There's that one abandoned wing that I found when I was allowed to wander the hospital alone. It's, I don't think it's abandoned anymore, but yes. Um, As a minor. Yeah. <laughs> Originally, St. Mary's Hospital had 12 beds and was staffed by three doctors who were all surgeons, Edith, and then the Sisters of St. Francis. Edith, so Edith, that means Edith was the only trained nurse. Yes. And there were three surgeons and a bunch of nuns and 12 beds. The nuns had basic care skills, but in the way that like someone who's taken a first aid class might have basic care skills, like maybe around where Kelly and I could provide care, probably a little higher, but like they're, they're not trained nurses. They're like, right. Oh, that's bleeding. We probably shouldn't have that person bleeding. Let me like put something on that. Yeah. So in case anyone is wondering, I just looked it up because this is a thing currently as of the last count, I don't know what year that was. Mayo, not Mayo Clinic, St. Mary's has 1,252 staffed beds. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a bit different than And 12. I have occupied some of them. I have too. It's, a, it's, I don't know, I feel like living in Rochester, if you don't have like a Methodist or St. Mary's story, it's like, are you even partially living here right like what do you mean you haven't had a medical emergency in this town right (laughs) just for the story at least i was there when you occupied one of those beds i was there when you occupied one of those beds you came and visited me anyways oh you were there when i okay no that wasn't saint mary's that was uh the mayo building no and i took you to the er Oh, crap, you're right. <laughs> I'm like, the ER is that definitely in St. Mary's. Mary's. I thought you meant when I got my hip fixed. I mean, I did that, too. Because I was also, I was, in, I was uh, an inpatient for a bit when I was having my blood clot issues. I've only been inpatient at St. Yeah. Mary's. At, at any, I've never been to Methodist. Yeah. I worked at Methodist. I, the only people I know who have been, well, my mom was there for her hip replacement, but most of the people I know who have been Methodist is because they had, had babies. babies. Yep. Yep. Um, Justin got his infusions there. I, okay. I feel like anyone who's vaguely familiar with Rochester, they're like, oh yeah, fucking meth is everyone else is like, I don't care. None of this means anything to me. Shut up. I'll move on back to Edith. Um, so once this host, this new hospital opened, Edith would, would be responsible and have to train these sisters of St. Francis in actual nursing skills. Woo. That doesn't sound fun, actually. I mean, she's got, if anyone can do it, it's going to be Edith because she was a teacher. She learned how to be a nurse. Combine those skills. Um, So Sister Joseph was one of the first sisters that Edith taught. And she had originally been a school administrator, but then, you know, Mother Alfred was like, hey, we need your guys' help. And um, this is when Edith discovered some road bumps in helping uh, sisters become Nuns. nurses yep so this is like sister act instead yeah. of, but instead of Whoopi Goldberg teaching the nuns to like let loose this is Edith teaching the nuns to like provide medical care yeah. <laughs> so one of the first patient patients sister Joseph and Edith saw together um 
was a man who was injured in a way that he needed to be completely undressed to make sure that they could catalog all of his wounds. It definitely was not an unfortunate masturbation accident. I was thinking like unfortunate farm shrapnel accident. I don't know why. Definitely not a masturbation accident. We're, we're, we want to be very clear on that. We are not in any way suggesting that this gentleman did anything to his penis sexually that could have resulted in injury. Again, things I could not say during the live show. Right. So having to see a naked man, Sister Joseph could just not. She, she was like, fuck this shit, except she probably didn't swear. And she just like did not know what to do. So as Edith and the doctors went to work on this now naked man, Sister Joseph was like, nope. And just like faced a corner and was like, I'm just going to pretend that it's just me in this corner and God. Yeah, <laughs> like, she literally put herself yep. in a corner. She was like, I'm too embarrassed to deal with this. Yeah, she's doing the sign of the cross, saying her Hail Marys, being like, oh, Lord, I've seen a penis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, Lord, I can't believe it. I don't know why she's she Irish. Irish? <laughs> hey, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> no, hold on, let me Google. No, I'm I was very proud of these slides, by yeah. the way. Um, <laughs> afterward, Sister Joseph would tell Edith, like, I, I can't do this. Like, I, nope. Nope. I can't be dealing with all these dudes and their weird masturbation accidents. Allegedly. Allegedly. I can't deal with the penis. Um, but Edith persisted knowing that the, the nuns would make good nurses if they can kind of get past that that modesty. That sense of shame. Right. That's so great with the Catholics. And so she, deep. Exactly. So Edith would really just impress upon them that like this is important work. People need your help. Like you're doing good deeds. It's fine. If Jesus can Adam bandage, and Eve were naked. If Jesus can bandage lepers, you can look at a penis. Right. I would rather bandage bandage leopards person lepers. I mean, Did I, I say lepers? I would <laughs> rather bandage leopards. So. I would also like if they're properly right? sedated. <laughs> be like, oh my god, you're so soft. I know. I would just cuddle it. Like I will the, bandage the leopards, you with my body. not the leper. No, I just, mean, hey, hey, we lepers need cuddles too. When I covered Alice Ball, we talked about how hard it is to actually catch leprosy from another person. Yeah. You have to be around them it's, it's constantly. And basically, have open wounds of your own. Yeah. So, like, if Jesus can bandage lepers, you can, can see a penis. You can see a penis because it's all in the goal of helping other people right. with their horrible masturbation accidents. So after training all the nuns, Edith would return to her role as hospital anesthetist and WW's like personal nurse and secretary. Soon, Edith would be seen in the company of one of the younger Mayos. Her and Charlie, the the youngest actually. He well, the youngest well, the son youngest at least. son, yeah. Yeah. Of the three Mayo men. Um I okay, can I just say those two generations? So when I was making these slides, you know, I used existing photos or graphics and just pasted Charlie and Edith's head on them. Yeah, how hard is it to find just Charlie? Not hard. His headshot is literally everywhere. I didn't Google him. Okay, well, because it's not his story. But my dog is named Charlie, (laughs) and I was very close to just using his face, but I was like. Let's be a little professional. Slightly professional because there are people here who don't know my dog and won't find that adorable and charming. But if you want to just picture. snuck it in once. Just once. If you want to just picture Charlie Mayo as a fawn colored chihuahua who just looks adorable and wants to love you. 
I'm not so sure on that second part. He does. He wants to love you. That's why it's he barks just at aggressive. people. He wants to love you in such an aggressive way where he, people come into my house and he's barking at them because he's like, sit on that fucking couch so I can get in your lap, you goddamn monster. And then whine at you. Yeah. So you can, so you'll love him. <laughs> Anyways, so Edith and Charlie were were enjoying one another's company outside of work. They would ride bikes together, go on picnics, hayride, and ice skating. All I can think of is Emily put this really <laughs> funny picture of like people doing this really intricate ice skating dance with their yeah. faces on. It's so funny. Like one of the people was bent in half backwards, and I actually adjusted the faces yeah, appropriately. So, and here's the thing: Edith and Charlie's. Mi- Charlie's faces in these very photos, stoic. they're very stoic. So imagine their stoic gray faces pasted onto a bunch of stock photography of people going on hayrides, picnics, and figure skating. Yeah. It was amazing. And if you're a patron, I will upload this PowerPoint just so you can see my oh, majesty. No. I'm going to upload the full video. The audio is trash, oh. <laughs> but you can see... You can see it in all its glory. I, I like timed the clicks comedically. I, I was so bad though. Like I like, cause I think I double clicked twice and then I was like, fuck, this is the wrong slide. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't say fuck though. Cause I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Cause we're professionals. So, um, God damn it. Yeah. Right. When Charlie would travel, which was often, he would write Edith friendly letters. Porn. He'd write her, he'd write her porn. 100% Or porn. he was just like too shy. So they were like the exact opposite of porn. It was just like. Hello, the sun is out. Goodbye, it was, Charlie. No, 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 it was 1800s porn where like today we would think it was really romantic, but back the then it was are like- blooming. I can think of another flower that blooms. Mm. You know, but like <laughs> it, was, it was the most beautiful but smuttiest shit where it was just like- But we read it and we're like, the fuck is this shit? We're like, wow, that's really beautiful. You know what's funny? I read uh, a portrait of Dorian Gray written yep. by Oscar Wilde a famously gay author and the male characters, the way they speak to each other in that novel. I'm like, I'm like, it's very romantic. It's very flowery. So I I talked to my mom about it. I wasn't like off put, but I was like, right. Hey mom, you're familiar with this book. Everyone in it is gay. Right. And she's like, honey, that's just how they talked back then. And And I found out, I'm "Mm." like, now I'm like, no, everyone in that book was super gay and I loved it. Mom stopped trying to make them not gay. But yeah, beautiful, beautiful pornetry. 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 That's what we call it. So in 1893, Edith and Charlie would go to a church supper together where this church was hosting an event where basically they were stealing a Mardi Gras tradition where there was a hidden ring and a cake instead of a baby. That's also, um, it's a tradition in a lot of different things. I was going to say, like, there's a, there's a Mexican king's cake, similar. Yeah. Yeah, That's what the Mardi Gras is too. Yeah. It's called king's cake. It's a lot of Christian influences. I wonder how that happened. Mm, maybe it's actually the pagans. Go pagans, go pagans. It's your Christmas tree. It's your Christmas tree. <laughs> so basically, whoever found the ring would receive like a blessing. From who? Don't know. Anyways, so no one at the event ever claimed to find the ring. So I'm sure people were just like, who the f-? either it was either who the fuck stole it or who the fuck made the cake and didn't put the ring in there. Who okay, who swallowed it? I'm sifting through feces yeah, right now. Line oh, up right outside the board of John. <laughs> Here's a sieve. <laughs> okay, all I have is a colander. Make do. 
<laughs> so uh, later that night, Charlie would use that ring. So there's differing stories. Because a lot of the stories I read said that it was the ring from the cake. But then at the place, they said it was a different ring. That He found the ring, but it was a different ring that he proposed with. Like, unknown. Either he took the ring from the cake, period. Like, before it was baked into the cake. Or he happened to find it and then pocketed it. I believe that he planned this. Oh, 100%. Charlie, there's no way this dude who... Okay, no. actually... He probably went in and was like, hey... I want to propose to my girl. Can you not put that ring in the cake? And they were probably like, sure. And he's probably like, one of you can keep it. And they were probably like, sweet. So actually, I was just about to say, there's no way that a man who cuts open other people for a living wouldn't think this through. But that is exactly what a man who cuts open other people for a living would do when it comes to a romantic situation. They would just be like, oh, fuck. I don't know. Here. Here. Oh, thank God I have a ring in this pocket. I haven't worn these pants in 10 months. Hey, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> so the pair would later get married. Or sorry, Charlie would propose. Whether using some ring. A ring. Which is now on display at the Olmsted County History it's Center. Which we affectionately call the cake ring. Yep. She would later give him a cock ring. It's just polite. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Cake um, ring, cock ring. We're so close. That's what he would write about in his letters. Like, I really want this ring. Yes. And people are like, oh, you guys want to get married? And he's like, sure. He just constantly used ring imagery, like a ring of light around the sun, a ring of daisies. And the whole time he's alluding to a C ring. Yeah. Anyway, you go, Charlie. You go, Charlie. <laughs> C ring. Don't let anyone yuck on your yum. So the pair would get married in April with Edith's friend, Alice McGaw, as her bridesmaid. And, um... Edith's brother as the best man. So Edith's brother also went into doctoring the medical profession. Medicine. One, I guess one of her brothers. He was a weed dealer. <laughs> no, I think he actually ended up working at Mayo. As a weed dealer. <laughs> um, so the reason that Edith's brother was uh, the best man was because Will was away traveling. So one thing you need to know about Will and Charlie, the brothers Mayo. So they're only a year apart in age, but they were like weirdly inseparable they were on their like codependent. whole life like they had joint banking accounts they had a joint rocking chair i kid you not this rocking chair is connected they share an armrest yeah, like weird. monsters we'll talk more about their connectedness coming up emily do not get into it okay i just want to <laughs> that say, is in my story i will not get into it but i just want to say we had to tread very lightly around that because obviously the mayo name is a very kind of protected entity in this town they were so fucking codependent. You said it was that though. You were like, they were a little codependent, and both of us just kind of like waited. And then like someone chuckled, and we're like, okay. This I is said fine. a little, but exactly. they were obsessed with no, each other. It was weird. And like beautiful like, in its own no way. No one else thinks it's weird. I think it's weird. It, like, okay, in its own way, like obviously it was a, it was a, weird. as far as we know, it was a healthy relationship. Yeah, no, but it, it seemed like weird. It. it was weird. It's weird. So hashtag keep Rochester weird with your yeah. codependent sibling relationships. So Charlie and Edith would spend their honeymoon visiting hospitals in New York and Chicago. And this would kind of like set the pace for the rest of their relationship. Like they were both very much involved in hospitals and Mayo and all of this stuff. Following this, Edith would resign from her nursing position, though would still remain active in the Mayo practice. As far as I know, this wasn't like Charlie asking her to step down. This was a decision she made on her own. But who knows? Well, I mean... 
Okay, so, like, I think obviously Charlie admired her and was likely attracted to her, like, being so intelligent, being in the medical field and all that stuff. But it was common practice at the time for women to leave their careers when they were married. Working was just something you did until you got married. Yes, there's a good chance there was not even a conversation about it. It was just just expected. expected. Yeah. That doesn't mean he has slowed down. No, not even close. And Edith also didn't want to leave her nursing position without knowing it was in good hands. Like she was the top anesthetist for like the main doctor at this hospital. She wasn't like, I'm just going to leave you high and dry because I fell in love with your son's dick. (laughs) Just his dick. Just his dick. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's true. Hashtag things we couldn't say at the live show. Exactly. (laughs) So Edith would call her friend Alice, who Emily's going to talk about. Um, who was still in Chicago at the time to replace her. So Edith's married life went pretty good, actually. Like, there were some struggles. Charlie traveled a lot, which was a big struggle for them. Like, Edith often would, like, there was times where they actually, I think, came close to divorce. And, like, she was like, you're never here. You don't care about me. Like, the fuck? Totally valid for, work. you know, the wife of, or the partner, excuse me, of a workaholic. Right. And they would also suffer a lot of loss um, when it came to their children. The couple would lose their first daughter in infancy in 1895. Their second child, Dorothy, would contract scarlet fever in the 1900s. And while Edith's expertise in nursing probably helped save um, Dorothy's life, she was permanently brain damaged because that's what's like scarlet fever causes a lot of swelling and stuff. Like, well, any any high fever can cause brain damage. Yeah, yeah exactly. They would they would go on to have several more children they would have a son charles shocking so charles jr that means but they would also have edith jr which i love, love. um love and then that. they would have joseph rachel and esther um but no michael to row the boat ashore no apparently not. god damn it sadly esther their last child they would also lose to an intestinal disorder when she was only two so lots of loss in their relationship and that's got to be very difficult to and, and kind of i i wonder looking back on it if throwing himself into his work was a coping method for Charlie, like to, I think to he travel, did that's well, what I, and that's what their dad did. Well, though. and I think he would have done that regardless. But I can see that because this is what he knows. This is what he knows how to do. This is an area where he feels a sense of control because he has this knowledge. Versus, my children are dying, and I don't know what to do, and I can't do anything. So let me go out here. First of all, separate myself from the physical location that this is right. happening, and put myself into fixing other people's problems. While Edith is the one who's left to, you know, take on a lot of these domestic duties, and she isn't really given permission to step away right. from any of this because with every illness that one of her children has even if they survive it unscathed there's all that fear there's all the anxiety and there's so much responsibility on her shoulders and I'm not saying either of them had it worse I'm also acknowledging Charlie's coping was totally valid and natural but that's just gotta be so hard on a marriage right like I can't even imagine but yeah anyways so while they had some dark days together they were still pretty much living the good life she and charlie would live next door to will and his wife hattie like i said codependent relationship and their children as well so when they first married they all lived in one house together it was called the yellow house eventually 
Charlie would, as you know, both families were growing, Charlie would move next door. He would build basically the exact same house next door. And it was called the Red House because creativity. Guess what color it was. Exactly. <laughs> um, and when both houses were built and the ha- families were living happily in their own houses, the brothers were like, hey, let's build a tunnel and connect our houses. And the wives were like, fuck, no, Brother you're not. Brother tunnel. Brother tunnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the wives were like, the, the wives were literally like, no, we never see you as it is. You are not doing that. And when we talked about that, they still shared bank accounts. I just want to be clear. These four individuals shared yeah, bank these accounts. These four adults. Like, these four adults, two of whom are married to each other. Like they all, sh- this two families shared a bank account. Yeah. Because these brothers could not Separated. not yeah, have a bank weird. account. Um, like we talk about like cut the, cut the cord. Like I don't know what this is. Right. <laughs> so Charlie loved to entertain. And as a doctor, he would entertain a lot of different people. And Edith would um, keep a well-stocked pantry. And at the beginning, particularly when they were living in the red house before they like had staff and like stuff like that would upgrade. Right. Edith would, you know, be a really good homemaker as well as like being an active part of the conversation and like all of that stuff. She was incredibly intelligent. And as the medical center grew, so would Rochester. People were coming to work to study. Relatives of patients are coming into the city. And Edith and other women in the community realized that a YWCA or the Young Women's Christians Association of the United States of America, that's the full title. Yeah, it's like the YMCA, but the the M is upside down. Exactly. So basically they realized that it was a pressing need for something like that for the women of the community. And so Edith and her friends worked until this was a reality and helped organize the YWCA within Rochester and helped run it with other women in the community. Edith also knew that, you know, women were coming into a strange town if they were coming like for, if they were the wives of doctors or fellows or any of those people that were coming to Mayo to not maybe stay permanently, but to be here for like a year or two and then leave again. She realized that, hey, like, that can get really lonely. Like, I went away to nursing school, and I only had the friends I brought with me. Like, well, and she was lucky to have those exactly. friends. So she would organize the wives of all these people um, into the Rochester Magazine Club. I, I always want, like, I don't know why she picked that name, but that's what she picked. I wonder if, like, magazines were a bigger deal at the time. I think they were. Like, if you think about, like salons back in the day you always see people like reading magazines that's maybe why i mean here's the interesting thing about that is that even in rochester today that is still yeah there's like the women's magazine there's well that all of them but just the idea of like people following their partners who are doing a residency or a you know a stint at mayo that is still very much the environment that we're living in and like my fella has a bunch of friends who like they're from out of state, they're from out of the country, and they have colleagues and friends right. who are from out of state and out of country who are just here for Mayo. And, and basically they may, and they may or may not continue here when they're done. Well, and they're plopped into this city where they don't know anyone, and they're left to kind of figure that out on their own. Right. Or they're the like whether they're working for Mayo or they're the partners of people working at Mayo. And that's right. gotta like, be at really least hard. At Mayo. Yeah. You have the other fellows, you have like people you get to know, but yeah, like when you're a partner, 
It's just kind of like, all right, find a job, have fun. I'm going to work. We had a we had a mother um, at the backup center. She was from China. And I'm not going to give away personal details, but she was here for a residency or a right. fellowship or something. And she came here by herself, her husband, her son, and the rest of her family were back in China. And the way she described it, she's like, I just got very lonely. So her father and Aww. her son came here to live with her and her son started coming to the daycare. That kid was doing fucking multiplication. He was such a sweet little boy. And actually his his English was excellent, but his mom was so nice. She gave us this folder that had all these phrases in Chinese Just and in then case. the English translation. So we could point to the Chinese character. Like, do you have to go to the bathroom? Are you hungry? How do you, you know, do you feel well? And this and that. And oh my God, he was so cute. Every time he answered, he's like, yes, no. It was always like it was a question. I was like, can I just take you home? Because you're the cutest little fucking thing in the world. But that was really hard for her. She's in a new country by herself. Her whole family is at home. And she like literally brought her son and her father over because she was so lonely. Lonely. And so the fact that Edith is seeing this need and addressing it is huge. It's revolutionary. And it is definitely still the environment of this city. Oh, yeah. That, you know, the the importance of the importance of connection. Yeah. So she would organize, like I said, the YWCA, the Rochester Magazine Club, and then she would also organize the Mayo Clinic's Women's Club, which was gathering all the like 500 young women employees of the Mayo Clinic to like gather together and like hang out with each other. So when not working or traveling, Charlie and Edith would often go to the Rochester countryside to a favorite spot along the river here. And one time while there, Charlie took some string and would mark off plans for a house a la Grey's Anatomy that would be very large and it would also afford his children the chance to have some of that farm life he and Edith had enjoyed as children. Construction would begin later that year and this house and the surrounding grounds would become Mayo Wood. This place is fucking huge. It's like 11 acres. Well, actually, no, it might be more than that. It is. Okay. While Kelly is looking up the specifics, I just want to tell you. It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It's stunning. The The gardens around the entire property are insane. The inside of the house is ridiculous. And every year around the holidays, they have a Christmas tree tour. So a bunch of different organizations and businesses, basically they purchase and decorate a Christmas tree for each of the trillion rooms in this old beautiful mansion. And you get yeah. to take a tour and the whole I've place is decorated. There. The whole place is decorated. For, okay. We're doing this because yep. I've because I usually go with my dad on this tour and it's like sometimes our schedules don't work. I'm taking you on this fucking tour because Sounds it is beautiful. incredible. And especially now that we are so much more familiar with Edith and Charlie, I think we're gonna enjoy it even more. So Mayo Mayo Wood, that's the name of the house, is a twenty-three thousand square foot, thirty-eight room house on three thousand three hundred acres of a state did you did you originally a less estimate 11 acres yep (laughs) (laughs) i was way off see this is why we. i mean i do think it started smaller and then they like bought more land as the years went on but still so construction would begin and the house and the surrounding grounds like i said would become mayo wood in the same year as the house was being built edith would have a scare and almost lose charlie they were traveling um in new york and Charlie developed pains in his stomach. And he was like, I have gallstones. And the doctors were like, no, you don't. You have appendicitis. And took out his appendix. Guess what? He had gallstones. Okay. T- to be fair, 
Charlie was basically to the doctors in New York, the equivalent of someone who's like, I looked up WebMD and it says I have this, but they did not take it. He was a little bit more well known than that, but not by much. They're not taking into account that he's like this world famous doctor that they should definitely maybe listen to. So because the doctors didn't listen, Charlie's condition got worse and he almost died. And his brother, Will, flew from Minnesota to New York to come and operate on him and save his goddamn life because codependency. Okay, that's not codependency. That's just survival. Like, if your brother can really save cute. your life. Yeah. He, I, I just imagine that phone call, like, Will, they're not listening to me. I'm going to die of gallstones if you don't help me. I'll be on the next flight, brother. Oh my God. Like, I'm going to let some fucking bladder stones ruin your life. Right. So after the surgery, obviously, Edith and Charlie would have to remain in New York until he was well enough to travel. Um, later that year, Maya would be compl- Maya Wood would be completed, and Edith would give the Red House to the YWCA, which she was still actively participating in, and it would become like a boarding house for some of the women that was going through the YWCA, which I think is great. She would also work alongside her sister-in-law from her family. This was her brother's wife, Trude, with the Civic League, promoting better and cleaner conditions for Rochester. These women saw the need to improve citizens' health and welfare and wanted to implement changes since no one else seemed to fucking be doing it. Can, can I just say, like, Edith is not an elected official. You know, she, she's obviously this very well-educated, accomplished person on her own. But when you get down to it, she's a, she's a, she's the wife of a wealthy doctor. Right. And she's using needs in the community. And she's using her wealth. And her power and her influence for good. Right. This is like those rappers that talk about going back and fixing their neighborhoods. That's what's e- that's what Edith is doing, except with doctor money, not rapper money. Could we? Could could maybe we come up with a short list of people who have lots of means but haven't been helping like the world or their communities? Oh no, it's like five people. Just a few. Yeah. Just a few. Whoever comes to mind, you are correct. <laughs> Listener. Right. So the Civic League would do a lot in Rochester. And these are things that like when I list them, you're going to think they're super weird and like asinine. But they didn't exist before Edith and the Civic League brought them. Well, they might have existed elsewhere, but they didn't exist in Rochester. And some of them didn't really exist at all. These are big does, but just remember, no one else was fucking doing it, including city officials. Right. <laughs> so they would establish public restrooms for women and children who would need places to clean up when coming into town. Because obviously, like if you're traveling from really far, you're getting dirty. Or, you know, if you're running errands and suddenly your kid has to go to the bathroom, like what the fuck are you supposed to do? Anyways, this was the first of its kind in the nation. There were not public restrooms for women and children prior to this. Can you fucking imagine? I can't. I'm like, I can't. Jesus Christ, where people just like, I need to go find a tree. He, you know, here's the crazy thing, too, is that, like, I, if I go someplace and they don't have a public restroom, I'm like, oh. The fuck is wrong with you, people? You know, because I'm used to going almost anywhere and having easy access to a bathroom. A public restroom that's right. not even my own. right. But the fact there weren't public restrooms. It's so weird. And traveling was so much worse back then. Right. Like, I love getting off a plane and going to the bathroom. The first thing you do when you get off a plane. And letting my bladder flow and, like, taking my pants off and just, like, 
feeling my body not in a plane seat for a minute. <laughs> that is an amazing feeling. Can you imagine coming like in on a donkey or a carriage or, or a like covered, house, yeah, a covered shitty. wagon or like whatever rinky dink planes they had back then and just be like, yeah, there are no restrooms. Go find a bush. Die full. <laughs> <laughs> may your bladder oh explode god. in the name of I god i love that die full that might have to be new merch oh my die. god hashtag die full people are gonna be like oh are you talking about food no i'm talking about shit i'm talking about your bladder exploding <laughs> so they would also establish a free kindergarten hire visiting nurses hire a school nurse create cooking classes for the general public and assign a health inspector that's right Rochester didn't have a health inspector at the time. Can you imagine not having a school nurse? Also, all of these things are predecessors to any sort of Minnesota public health department or school nurse program. 100%. Just, just, yeah. Like, yeah, can you imagine not having a school nurse? Like, how weird is that? So, hey, folks, when you're trying to drag your partner to that cooking class and they definitely don't want to go and you're like, but it'll be fun. Think of Edith. In the positive or the negative, we can thank Edith yeah, right. for that. So in 1912, the scarlic, scarlic, what is scarlic? Oh, it's like when you eat too much garlic. Oh no, there's no such thing. Yeah, it's not. Garlic is always beautiful and magical and belongs inside my body. Always. 1912, <laughs> scarlet fever. This was when like it was starting to read right. Blah, blah. I've had too much wine. Reach epidemic levels, and Edith was obviously very passionate about this with her child having caught it and gotten you know had long-term side effects i was gonna say brain disorders and i'm like that's not quite right i mean she had brain damage she has developmental disorders due to scarlet fever um so she would work alongside her husband charlie and together they would get him to be assigned rochester's health officer because they were like okay shit needs to get done and i know if you're in that position shit's gonna get done so together they would work to enact strict quarantines and isolation units to keep the scarlet fever from spreading. Also during this time, Edith was working with Will's wife, Hattie, to advocate for Rochester's first female school board members, a police woman, a truant officer, milk and meat inspections. Welcome to the jungle, bitches. <laughs> school inspections, garbage removal, and a curfew for children. Like, I'm sorry, like even I remember writing these notes and I was like, the fuck lawless town was Rochester in 1912. <laughs> so to be fair, for quite a while, there weren't even enough people to warrant right. these public services. But the fact that there became enough people and still no one did anything. Especially like in the middle of like an epidemic that someone has to go, you know, maybe we should be inspecting our, our meat and milk. And maybe we should be like getting rid of some of this garbage and these dirty bandages and these gross like sheets. Yes, Maybe this would help. Let's talk about how people in the past were woefully irresponsible <laughs> during a pandemic when they could have done very basic things to prevent things from getting worse. You mean or the past to, like three years ago? <laughs> or to take care of their fellow humankind right. i did my part i stayed in this house i stayed home i wore a mask i've gotten all my too. vaccinations the first time i went to a grocery store the weirdest thing was in was target and it was in july it was because like i was finally going it was like a, a friend's kids party i was buying yeah, was a like gift you were masked you yeah. were like six feet away it from was everyone so bizarre to like, be in like that a mostly empty target it was i mean it was sparse but it wasn't it 
it almost felt oddly normal. Like just kind of like I remember that when like people oh, first started. It's like going walking out, in a dream. It was weird, yeah, yeah. Because I hadn't I hadn't been in a a store like a large store in you know since March, right? So they would also establish dental care for children or dental clinics for children, school gardens, and health lectures. That sounds fun. I love that. As the years continue and Edith's children would grow up and move out, she would stay very dedicated. She was very much like a mother. She would stay dedicated to them. She would write to them. She would help them wherever she could, giving them advice on like marriage and stuff like that, helping with their weddings if she able. Was, she was definitely not a like, once you're 18, you're not my problem mm. anymore. She was like, she, she was like, how can I, like not a helicopter parent, but she was just like, if you need help, I'm here. She, she's like my mother. Like, okay, say everything went tits up. I lost my house. I lost my job. I was fucking done. My parents would catch me. Yeah, my mom would be there. And I'm so thankful because not everyone has that kind of safety net. And that is such a huge advantage that I have. And it's something I'm incredibly thankful for. And also something I hope I never actually have to do because living with my mother might actually kill me. Yeah. (laughs) I love my mom, but we can't live together anymore. (laughs) I'm sorry. After her children would grow up, Edith would end up taking in her two sisters who were both ill and she would care for them until they both passed. Sadly, in 1939, Charlie would contract pneumonia and without the benefit of like modern medicine where pneumonia is very treatable, um, he would pass away, but he would be surrounded by his wife and children. Sadly, his brother Will and their codependent relationship couldn't be there because Will was sick back in Rochester and Charlie was elsewhere and Will was too sick to travel to Charlie and that's actually very sad. Like, yes, they're codependent. That, that yes, it may or may not have been healthy. But I'm like, that is so sad. So Charlie passed. And then I think it was just a few months later and Will passed. That genuinely fucks me up because Will and Charlie have been they're like side by lifeline. side yeah. throughout their lives. And, and like, like to, okay, we, we joke about the codependency, which is valid. But also they had this really strong relationship. And Will even saved Charlie's life. And because this is mainly Edith's story and Charlie was Edith's husband, we don't even know if that was reciprocated. But the fact that Will could not be there for Charlie in his final moments genuinely breaks my heart. It does. Because they were there with each other every right. fucking step like, of the way. I can't even imagine how like they must have felt. Yeah. Particularly like, probably Will that's like, I'm too sick to go see my brother. Yeah. And then he dies. And, and do you think Charlie just kind of kept weighing like, oh, maybe Will's going to I don't think now. so. I, I, I think mean, it was he probably might have been like out he of prob- it. Well, and he probably knew Will was sick and he was probably like, no, don't travel. Like, don't make yourself worse. Such a doctor. Right. But like, you know, you, you hear about those stories of people who hang on until everyone said goodbye and just. I don't think so. I don't know that we never we will never know. Well, you you hear about those stories and I just I just think of like how badly Will must have felt. And like I'm sure Charlie felt very loved, but just the fact that they had such a close relationship and Will couldn't be there really right. sucks. Cuz one obviously one of them had to go first. One of them had to be there for the other and that just didn't happen. Right. And there's one opportunity for that to happen. Right. <laughs> One of them gets to die first, and that only happens once. So that's, I don't know, that's just so sad. So obviously the loss of her husband would have a very strong impact on Edith, but she would keep doing what she do best. She would fully embrace her role as a mother, grandmother, and community leader. In fact, just a year after Edith passed, not Edith, 
Charlie passed away, <laughs> Edith was named Mother of the Year by the Golden Rule Foundation. She would receive a telephone call from New York with the news that she had been selected as the 1940 National Mother of the Year. And she would respond with, why, I've never done anything. Which just so speaks to, like, Edith. Like, she's constantly doing stuff, but she's just like, what? I'm not doing anything. It's fine. Like, you know, and I... Anyone would do this. I don't even... Okay, so I feel like when we hear those situations, we think, like, wow, they're so humble. But imagine when someone gives either of us praise, like, wow, you did a really good job on that. And you're like, I didn't do anything. I, I really wonder if, like, even Edith, this incredible woman, she's well-educated. She has implemented all these incredible public services in this growing city right. that has become home to one of the world's premier medical institutions. Even she has imposter syndrome. Well, I think part of it is it's like I was just doing what anyone else in my position would have done. Right. But so when Edith was selected, she was selected because she was, quote, the most representative of the best there is in womanhood. I agree with that. She would get to travel to um, Washington, D.C. and meet Franklin Roosevelt's mother and give a radio address with her, which I think is pretty sweet. What, was it Franklin? Did she get to meet Eleanor Roosevelt? Yes, but she also got to meet Franklin Roosevelt's mother. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought there was like a bit about Eleanor Roosevelt, like them becoming besties. But maybe that was just my no, herstory head. No, that was just cannon. in your head. That was my herstory head again. Eleanor Roosevelt was best friends with every bad bitch during yeah, her lifetime. <laughs> um, so by this time, Edith had moved out of Maya Wood and gave it to her son and his growing family um, as she aged and obviously like did not need that space for herself. She would move into the Ivy Cottage, which was on, still on the grounds, the three three. 1,300 acres. The 11-acre grass. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> it was like the mother-in-law suite, basically. No, it's the mother-in-law cottage. Which was still bigger than my house. Probably. <laughs> so by 1942, Edith had 20 grandchildren, some of which obviously were living in her old house as well as within the state, some of which had moved out of state. You know, like her, her kids spread out. They all couldn't logistically fit in Rochester, no. so some of them were forced to leave. Right. So when she did get to see her grandchildren, she would play games with them, share stories of her life, Charlie's life, you know, like WW and everything like that. She would be diagnosed with leukemia and would eventually be admitted to St. Mary's Hospital as the leukemia progressed. Edith would die on July 26, 1943, and is buried here in Rochester in the Oakwood Cemetery. And her last days were spent being cared for in the place that she helped establish 44 years earlier. So, okay, sorry. This is this is my like fan fiction. Um, there's this old nun nurse that comes to check on her, and Edith goes, "I remember when you were just a wee lass, like like one of the people that yeah. Edith trained or something." Because yeah, she helped to establish yeah. this place and to get it on its feet and to train the original nun nurses. And the fact that that's where she spent like her last year, like it really is kind of this. She got to see the garden from the seeds that she planted. Like, she got to see it grow. Right. I mean, how amazing. And I love that for her. And I hope her nurse didn't stick a catheter in her like she was angry at the world and get it twisted like a fucking bitch. Like, mine did. Right. But she wasn't a nun, so. (laughs) So, legacy. 
Perhaps Edith was right when she said she did nothing. She didn't do a whole lot of anything except be a mother to a family, a clinic, and to a whole city. She helped establish, like, commonplace things today when Rochester didn't have them way back then. She helped establish St. Mary's. She trained the nurses of St. Francis, and she was there for WW. And then Charlie for his whole, like, adult life. Yeah. So... If she did nothing, dear God, what have I done? Okay, how far in the negatives? Exactly. <laughs> like, if she's at zero, yeah. I mean, I... Edith was pretty amazing. Edith is definitely a, a better-known figure in Rochester, um, especially being the wife of one of the, well, you know, famous Mayo brothers. But I don't think that people, and including myself you know, living here since I was 12, fully understand the impact that she's had on the city. And honestly, it gives me a lot more like local Rochester pride because I'm like, no, Edith really cared about this place and cared about the people who are living in it. And really, and, and okay. There have been many times where I'm downtown, which is where the prime, you know, the a lot of the Mayo Clinic campus buildings are located. And we get a lot of visitors from out of town, from out of country, all over the place. And I've seen this. I have been a part of this. And I have benefited from it. When someone comes up to you and asks you, hey, what are the rules on parking? Or do you know of a place where I can get a burger? Or like they ask, or like, can I fit this wheelchair into this elevator? Everyone, without a second thought, steps up and helps yep. and especially downtown because it's like you know kind of the the heart of mayo people are so good about that and it's such a wonderful thing to see and even i was trying to get to a doctor's appointment in a wheelchair when i was in a ton of pain and some random woman out of nowhere started pushing my wheelchair because she saw i was struggling it was like where can i take you and I literally just, I, I burst into tears and I couldn't look at her because I was, I was like, I'm crying, don't look at Aww. me. But you know, it's just this, it's that spirit of caring and just kind of assuming, hey, if you're not from around here, you're probably not here for a great reason. Either, you know, your partner's here and you don't know where you're going or you're here for a medical problem. Regardless, I'm going to help you. And that is so much Edith. And like to, to realize so much of that comes from Edith. It makes me really proud to be a part of that. Yeah, it does. I fucking love you, Edith. I'm going to whine cry. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. 
If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash herstory. That was another good clink. That was an excellent clink. So do you want to follow up my amazing story with your own amazing badass babe? I do. And, um... Like the people who used to come to Rochester, I'm going to die full because I got to pee. But we could do this. And I'm not leaving. We're not pausing. There are no breaks pause. No, we are not pausing. Die die full full. or go home. So Kelly. Die full or get your ass back on the airplane. So full disclosure, I have covered um, this woman, Alice McGaw, before. I think it was like back in episode 50. It was like our first like Minnesota Mavens episode. Uh, But I'm going to cover her again because one, that was a long time ago. Two, now everyone's heard that episode. Three, because fuck you, I do what I want. It's a little different Ooh. because. Did you just say it's a little different and Google was like, what? <laughs> I heard the ding of a Google. Hey, Google, go fuck yourself. Oh, you don't listen to that? Fine. 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 Fuck you, fine. Google. Whatever. Fucking patriarchy. But you know what? I'm different levels of drunk. We're on a different vibe. It's fine. Also, Alice's story is so incredible. And every single person who's ever been under anesthesia owes her a debt of gratitude. So you need to commit this bitch's name to memory. All right, so I'm whining about Alice McGaw, the mother of anesthesia. So if you have ever had surgery, even just a dental procedure, you have probably been given an anesthetic. And I think we can all agree that surgery without anesthetic, aka being fucking conscious, would suck. Think of getting a C-section. Think of getting a tooth pulled. Think of getting literally anything medical done to your body without some kind of painkiller or being knocked out, whether it's full anesthesia where you get the breathing tube or partial anesthesia where you're just off in la la land and you don't remember a goddamn thing that happened. Give me the drugs. We need it. No one wants to go back to the days where they just gave you a bit of leather to bite down on and told you to lie back and think of England while they sawed off your leg. Although if you do, I'm not going to yuck on your yum. Okay, right. I'm not just I'm, also maybe ask for some anesthesia. There's no shame here. Just, you know, be be safe. Be safe. Use a condom. Be safe. Be safe. <laughs> Put a condom on when you're getting your legs sawed mm-hmm. off. Just to be safe. You know, we don't want any STDs from getting an amputation. No, no STDs for us. No. <laughs> so anesthesia has been used for ages in the form of sponges soaked in opium and other drugs. And for quite a while, it did not advance beyond this. Because like any way you kind of dope someone up, we're up enough where they're just not fighting you as the quote unquote medical provider. Like that's all you need. Uh, but finally in the mid 1800s, Ether and nitrous oxide and chloroform became popular options, but administering anesthesia was a decidedly unpleasant process and often involved smothering patients. And that's exactly what it sounds like because there was no way to regulate how much anesthesia was being administered. Doctors ran the risk of the patient waking up during the procedure or overdosing the patient leading to their death or like straight up choking them out. Like, like you're literally smothering, like imagine a pillow full of ether and you're just smothering the person until they pass out. But that, but I you, just imagine someone like, you know, like knees on someone's shoulders, yeah. like keeping themselves balanced, just like, <gasps> but you but, have to make sure they're passed out enough that they're not going to wake up, like, but not passed bre- out enough that they're dead. Are you breathing still or are you, oh shit. 
I killed another one. So still not great. But one woman, one goddamn woman found a better way and her name was Alice McGaw. God damn it. So Alice McGaw was born on November 9th, 1860 in Coshton, Ohio. Don't care if I said it wrong. And grew up in Michigan. No, I said that right. In 1881, when Alice was around 21 years old, her family relocated to Rochester, Minnesota, taken in by our stunning landmarks like the Corn Cob Water Tower, Temperate Weather, a.k.a. our awful Minnesota winters. But it's not so bad without the wind, don't you know? And of course, our device wildlife that mainly consists of Canadian geese. And crows. Lots of crows. We have so many crows here. I always wonder, like, what what do we have more of? Like, crows or geese? There's going to be a turf war one of these days. Okay, here's the thing, though. Like, every... The Mayo Clinic has spent a lot of money trying to get rid of the crows. And we've strategically relocated them. They they never commit to anything. Exactly. So, like, they come back. Um, the geese, they're doing stuff to control the population. But really, my thing is, like, every time I see a crow or a geese, or a goose, excuse me, I'm like, hey, you were here before me and you'll be here after me. Game recognized game. Like, you are our true rulers of this community and I respect the hell out of you. So, when she was in Rochester, she befriended Edith Graham Mayo. Or at this time, Edith Graham, excuse me, and her sister Dinah. And they definitely bonded over being like Alice in Wonderland, Destiny Busties. Besties. Did I say Busties? You said Busties. I've been drinking. It's fine. So. You can call us Busties. We are kind of Busties. Mm-hmm. Busties with Breasties. <laughs> breasties with Busties. Does it work? It doesn't matter. I imagine that they met up under the corncob water tower and were just like, Stuff. Like, that's where all the cool kids Stop. smoked after school. And they're like, hey, you look like a bad bitch. Yeah, I am a bad bitch. You want to hang? Yeah, let's go watch geese around Silver Lake. Fuck yeah. Let's and then go, let's go to Chicago and learn shit. Let's let, let's go walk on the trails around Silver Lake and avoid stepping in goose shit. That sounds, yeah. sounds like a plan. Or you step in it because you're a bad fucking bitch and you Heck know yeah. that's natural. Anyway. <laughs> So then Alice traveled to Chicago, Illinois with Edith and Dinah to attend the Women's Hospital School of Nursing in 1887 to 1889. So after graduating, Alice stayed in Chicago uh, working as a private nurse while Edith returned to Rochester, Minnesota after getting fired by that shithead doctor who said she was too hot to trot. Yep. And she became the budding Mayo Clinic's first trained woman nurse working as a nurse anesthetist for the Mayo. Yay. Apparently Alice wasn't like hot enough to get fired or maybe she just worked with a doctor who wasn't, who wasn't such an a asshole. Dick. Yeah. I like to think like he just wasn't a dick. So uh, after Alice married Dr. Charlie... And 650 surgeries later, or sorry, did I say Alice? I'm getting them confused. Edith married Dr. Charlie, performed 650 surgeries, and then Edith decided to retire from nursing. But she knew the perfect person to replace her, her old chum and bestie with busty Alice McGaw. Edith persuaded Alice to return to Rochester and begin working at the Mayo Clinic as a nurse anesthetist. So basically, Alice filled the shoes, the massive fucking pumps that Edith left behind. So Alice was now working in St. Mary's Hospital, which had just been built after that bitchin' tornado. Um, Sorry, there's a bunch of this stuff I should have cut out because Kelly covered it in her story. 
Oh, so the founding of St. Mary's allowed the Mayo brothers and their father, W.W., to move the surgical practice from a home to a real hospital setting. So you didn't have to look at all their weird family photos and their weird cross stitch that said, live, laugh, love. So there's only one little problem with Alice's Alice's new job. Alice's new job. Alice's new job. Uh, The methods for anesthetizing patients before surgery sucked donkey dick hashtag things i couldn't say in the live show at the time the common method for administering anesthetic was the quote choking or smothering unquote method can you imagine reading a medical textbook where they're like okay so we're gonna learn about the choking and or smothering method and people being like is this a test should i be horrified because we should all be horrified so this was the anesthetic of choice uh It was applied to a towel, gauze, or conical sponge, and then used to smother the patient. Again, we have not gotten past just smothering patients. Some doctors believe that asphyxiating their patients a little help, but Alice asserted, quote, ether should not be combined with asphyxia. Bold words, Alice. Bold words. <laughs> Bold. <laughs> what do you mean it shouldn't be combined with asphyxia? What do you mean we shouldn't literally deny patients oxygen by smothering them? And combine it with a drug. Yes. I'm not that saying- That sounds perfect to me. I'm not saying the patients weren't having a great time. I'm just saying they might not have w- woken up after it. So- She and the Mayo brothers also insist on using ether, and Alice remarked, again, very hot take, ether kills slowly, giving plenty of warning, but with chloroform, there is not enough time to say goodbye. So basically, when you're giving ether, you're able to kind of watch for warning signs if a patient is getting too much or too little and address it versus, you know, it's like, it's like those uh, coin machines at the county fair, Oh yeah. Where you like put you like pop the quarter in and it pushes the prize for prizes for like yep. a little not enough and you start to like punch it in and then all of a sudden, oh god, it's over. And the patient's and the, dead. And everyone dead. And you got a Chinese finger trap. Congratulations. There's blood on your hands. So for anyone who wants to travel back to the past, this is your only warning. Do not do it. Friends don't let friends travel to the past. So instead of smothering her patients, Alice used the open drop technique. So she would use a special wireframe mask covered with cloth. She'd then drip the ether onto the cloth before slowly lowering it over the patient's mouth and nose. So imagine like um, almost like a construction mask where it kind of like pops up off your face. Yeah. Except it's a wire mesh frame. You put the cloth over it and then you drip ether onto it. Okay. So in addition, Alice would speak calmly to the patients about how the anesthetic would make them feel. This helped soothe them, made them feel more confident in the procedure, and had the added bonus of suggestion. If the patients were told it would work, they would believe it, and it would improve the outcome. Alice said that these talks were, quote, a great aid in producing a comfortable narcosis. Hashtag my new band, my new metal band name. Comfortable narcosis. Comfortable narcosis. I I do love that. But it's totally true. Like if you think about it, they even talk about today, like the better a patient feels about their surgical outcomes and their surgery, the better their surgical outcomes are. So I've had, I've had surgeries where I've had to be put fully under. So there's, yep. Same. There's partial anesthesia where they just kind of drug you up and you're conscious it is like conscious anesthesia, nope. but you don't oh, no. remember. 
You don't remember what's happening. You're totally doped up. You don't know what's going on. Yep. That's like a colonoscopy. But then That's what you are for a colonoscopy. Yes, exactly. But then there's full anesthesia where you have to have a breathing tube. Yeah, you're so. And you're you're completely gone. Um, and you start begging the nurses to take care of you because you watch their children at the Mayo Backup Child Care Center. <laughs> I don't think I begged any of my nurses. I definitely I also, did. That's super I, funny. I literally, I recognize one of my nurses' names. I think it was for my hip surgery. I recognize her last name as some kids I'd taken care of at the Mayo Backup Center. And I was just like, are your kids so-and-so and so-and-so? And she's like, oh, yeah, I thought I recognized you. Your eyes look familiar. I was like, does that mean you're going to take good care of me? And then I fucking was gone. <laughs> Super weird. Uh, I don't think her children ever came back. Not saying it's related. But really, like, I would have um, uh, many different people come in while they're, like, lightly doping me up through my IV and just kind of explain the procedure to me. And it's actually very comforting to hear the, it it feels redundant, but to hear the repetition of here's what's going to happen. Here's how you're going to feel having them ask the same exact questions. It's like, okay, everyone here is on the same page. And I feel really good about that. And almost it makes it feel mundane. Like, no, I've never had a bad experience with anesthesia. No, I'm not a diabetic. No, I'm not, you know, all this stuff where you feel just kind of, everything feels more normal, even though it's completely abnormal for you as a patient. So once the patient slipped into blissful unconsciousness or a comfortable narcosis, Alice would switch to a less powerful ether, which she applied to maintain the patient's anesthesia during the surgery, all while being careful to position the patient's head and jaw as to not obstruct their airway, which is something I would have never thought of, which is why I'm not in medicine. (laughs) Using this method, Alice had to use less anesthetic, which reduced the risk of accidental overdose. Because I think even still today... If something goes wrong in your surgery, statistically, it's most likely to be anesthesia related. Right. Because that is a trippy and, you know, error. It, it has a lot of room for error. Right. And it really, and like, I'm not an anesthetist, but I just imagine it has a lot to do with the person's skill. It's not like, you know, any idiot can do it where no. they're just like, like okay, that's now a I push. Thing. Now I push this button and I push that button. Oh, we're almost done now. I push this button. Like, I just, I like to think you have you need to have skill for it. And this is at a time where she's still figuring this shit out. Right, like it's still trial and error. Yes. So Alice said of giving anesthetic, quote, and giving anesthetic, remember that you are, as it were, carrying the patient along the edge of the precipice. And while there is no need of going over, you must watch not to get too close to the edge. And really, it, I feel like that quote really highlights just the... Like the anesthetist is hovering over this patient's face, administering the anesthetic and like watching them and like monitoring. And like, I don't know what kind of machines or monitoring equipment they had at this time, but it's really an art form. Oh yeah. Like, and think of how intensely you have to like watch someone for like the minute facial changes of like, oh, they need a little bit more. Oh, that may be a little too much. Well, and that's why they call it practicing medicine because it right. really is an art form. It's not this, oh, I plug in these numbers in this order and it comes out the same. Everybody is different. Every medical provider is different. And their skill level is different. And this really is something that she had to practice to get very good at. 
and the consequences of not doing it well were high. Someone could die. Alice didn't invent the open drop technique, but she refined the t- refined it to perfection with evidence-based practice. Heck yeah. So she would conduct thorough research, devouring medical journals, observing other practitioners, and document how patients responded and the different complications that would come up with different types of surgeries and types of patients. So again, she's in, she's accounting for all of these variations that can occur from the practitioner to the patient. It's insane. So using this information, she make adjustments to adjustments to her own technique and she was so good she was so fucking good that she performed over 14,000 anesthetic procedures with zero anesthesia related fatalities I wonder okay I didn't look this up because genuinely I do not want to know but I wonder how that like matches up to current day statistic right like like what is the statistic of having an anesthesia related fatality I don't think it's high but I know having an anesthesia-related complication is more common than having, like, someone leave scissors in your belly. You know what I mean? So her research and expertise were fucking invaluable because she's she's batting a perfect game at this point, which statistically is also insane. I have the statistics. Oh, no. Okay, I'm, I'm going to close my eyes. 1.1 per million population per year. Worldwide. So that's 1.4, 1.45 males and 0.77 for females. <laughs> Why is it less for us? Oh my God. And the highest death rates were found in persons aged 85 or older. Which makes sense because, yeah. you know, especially as you get older, if you have other health oh, that complications. Might, actually, that, that's in the United States, but still 1.1 per million per year is not is incredibly low it is so i wonder what the statistics were like at her time when people were still just like choking out their patients had to be significantly higher but still she's even beating that statistic in her own she has a hundred percent now granted it's only you know fourteen thousand surgeries compared to a million but still this is one person that's insane so um you know, the alternative at this time was smothering patients with chloroform, which could kill them and often did. But since Alice was a woman, she couldn't. Woman. S- a woman. Oh my. She couldn't submit her findings to medical journals because. Patriarchy. Fucking patriarchy. Like, like, okay, literally, women don't even have to have boobs. Women don't even have to have vaginas. Like, why? What is the difference? And the patriarchy will say women do need to have boobs and, vir- and vaginas. That's why I'm calling them. They're vaginas now. And I will say, okay, what about my boobs and my vagina? (laughs) Make me dumb. Tell me the medical reason. definitely the vagina. How my vagina makes me dumb. (laughs) Because I can guarantee you this is all organic. This has nothing to do with my vagina. I could have a penis and be just as dumb. (laughs) And you're not dumb. Remember American Pie? That dude stuck his penis in a pie? Yep. Don't tell me that was yeah, intelligent. Right. That was no way intelligent. That was supposed to be the male American experience. Don't tell me that was smart. Although that one chick did stick a flute up her pussy. Yeah, there's... Which I would argue you know, There's is, dumb people on every team. You know what? Your idiocy has nothing to do with your genitals. Your idiocy is independent of your genitals. 
and your ability to properly provide anesthetic is independent of your genitals and your gender identity. Anyway, patriarchy, bullshit. But it sounds like word got around. I do like to think that the Mayo brothers helped like signal boost Alice a little um, because she was expertly anesthetizing their own patients. But at at a certain point, it's very hard to ignore someone who's anesthetizing 14,000 plus patients with no anesthesia related deaths and be like, but boobs, like you are the idiot. You're the idiot. (laughs) Vagina. Oh no. I can't have one in the room with me. God damn it. Wait, 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 wait. So the difference is that she uses ether and smothers them with her vagina? No, no, no. no. She does not smother them. There is no smothering. She's, she's like, puts a, puts a mask slowly over their face. With her vagina? No! <laughs> Stop it! Stop being a dirty old man. Her vagina has nothing to do with it. Again, not all women have vaginas. I very much assume Alice did, though. So... Uh, eventually Alice was invited. Sorry. I like, I'm like vagina. <laughs> I'm looking like for that word in my I notes. Know. Like, where were we? <laughs> eventually Alice was, uh, being invited to give lectures at local medical societies. And this bolstered her as an expert. And she finally had the opportunity to publish her findings. So basically everyone's like, oh man, shit, this is actually like really good information. I guess we can ignore the fact that her name is Alice, which is a traditionally feminine name because most of the people reading her shit are not even looking at her. So what does it matter? Alice published her first. I can't breathe. I'm so drunk and I'm so full of pee. Alice published her first article, Observations in Anesthesia in 1899 in the Northwestern Lancet. Which recapped a recent lecture, ever heard of it, uh, that ha- that she had given at the Olmsted County Medical Society. What's woof, woof. up? Oh, see. Uh, this made her the first nurse anesthetist to ever be published. Period. Full stop. Done. Throughout her career, Alice published six scholarly articles, which gained her international recognition and helped advance the open drop technique that she had perfected until it became the national standard. So everyone, take a moment. If you're alive right now, you can thank Alice because she definitely saved one of your ancestors. Right, true. With her medical prowess and her vagina. <laughs> Pour one out for uh. Alice's vagina. <laughs> Hashtag things I couldn't say in the live show. Now, the Mayo brothers were excellent surgeons. And, like, I'm not taking away anything from them. Right, no. But the fact that their patients weren't dying from anesthesia on the regular really helped cement the Mayo Clinic's reputation as a surgical powerhouse, which has made our city what it is today. Dr. Charlie Mayo, famously married to Edith Graham Mayo, ever heard of her, dubbed Alice, quote, the mother of anesthesia. There was definitely a ceremony, a sash, and a crown involved. This was also during a time when the Mayo brothers officially established the Mayo Clinic in 1903. But just a few years later... Alice would leave. Dun, 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 dramatic groundhog. On May 23rd, 1908, Alice married Dr. George Kessel, founder of the Kessel Hospital in Cresco, Iowa. She, for a second, I I was like, wait, Crisco? Like the fat that you rub on a pan before you bake things? So I'm told as someone who does not bake things. 
So she moved to Iowa, boo, with him, boo, and acted as his personal nurse anesthetist. When the couple separated in 1919, woo, Alice returned to the Mayo Clinic. Hey, every, you know what? Every bad situation has to end at one point. She was just too much for him. She was too much of a bad bitch, and he could not handle it, and Iowa was not enough for her. The clinic had grown to include 18 nurse anesthetists, many of whom who had been educated based on Alice's research. Unfortunately, Alice's return to Mayo was short-lived. She was suffering health complications from diabetes, which forced her to retire in the mid-1920s. That's rough. Though Alice had helped advance medicine by leaps and bounds, knowledge on her own condition still had a long way to go. Rudimentary treatments may have included taking cold baths, wearing warm clothing, or wearing flannel or silk. Just any extreme of the temperature yeah. spectrum we can get on. Yep. Just, I That's all I think about when you say that. I'm like, so either a cold bath or bundle yourself up. In the winter, it was like, be cold. In the summer, it was like, be warm, because there was no other way to be. Like, th- this is really people just making shit up. And I get that Yeah, associating temperature with health was a big thing at the time, but it's so fr- it's got to be so frustrating. Insulin, which is commonly used to treat diabetes, wouldn't be discovered in 1921. Until 1921. And then on February 20th, excuse me, February 17th, 1928, Alice died from complications of diabetes in a sanitarium in wisconsin the ultimate tragedy yeah she's just surrounded by cheese beer and cheese byproduct that was used to salt their roads to prevent ice buildup in the winter did you know that wisconsin uses cheese byproduct to salt their roads i didn't but i can because how could they be more wisconsin right the land of ed gein and jeffrey dahmer and a bunch of other Oh, cheese and cereal McCarthy. killers. Yeah, cheese, cheese, beer, and cereal killers. The cheese and the beer is to cope with the cereal killers. Anyway, Alice had two funerals, one in Rochester, Minnesota, mm-hmm. which I can only assume Alice attended, be, or excuse me, Edith attended, because Alice was the maid of honor at Edith's wedding, wedding and they were besties. And, like, Alice is in Rochester this whole time. I really have to imagine that her and Edith were still friends and like hanging out it's like if you and i didn't have a podcast as like an official you know milestone of like oh they did a podcast like oh you know emily moved to rochester and then she moved somewhere else it's like no we were hanging out constantly in between them in between all the milestone moments she also had a private family funeral in michigan and she was buried in pine tree cemetery in karuna michigan which we should visit, but Edith is definitely a lot closer. Yes. So while we can't visit, you know, Alice within the next 12 hours, we can visit her friend Edith Graham Mayo, who helped get Alice into anesthesia in the first place. And because, as we always say, empowered women empower women. And these were two legitimate besties with presties who fucking worked till the days they died to not only make the world a better place, to but to make our, me and Kelly's community, yeah. a better place. And the fact that we're able to learn about these women and that they have enough information about them where we can read their stories and really appreciate their contributions is so incredible. And we're so thankful for that. 
So while the method that Alice had so diligently perfected and helped popularize is now completely obsolete, seriously, do not trust a doctor who says they use the open drop method. She was a significant force in advancing anesthesia procedures, decreasing anesthesia-related fatalities, and helping to put the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo goddamn clinic, which is regularly rated one of the top, if not the number one medical institution in the world, at least in the country, on the map. In an article for the American Association for Nurse Anesthetists, Victoria Good wrote, quote, Alice McGaw provided such leadership in the new field that her work drew more widespread attention than that of any other member of the Rochester group apart from the Mayo brothers themselves. Yeah. So cheers to these two hometown, nationwide, global herstory Heroes. <laughs> Fucking We're on clink. point with the cheers today. Fucking clinks all around. And actually, um, my friend Jory, friend of the podcast. What's up, Jory? Uh, her her boyfriend is a paramedic. Mm-hmm. And he came to the live show. And later he was talking. He's like, anesthesia is such a like big part. It and is. like, this is something that he learned about. Like, I don't think he learned about Alice specifically, but just like how anesthesia right. has progressed. And he's like... This is huge. And like the stuff she's talking about is still stuff you learn about, like talking to the patient, making them feel comfortable, you know, monitoring the anesthesia and like getting them close, but not too far over the edge. And he's like, this is all so relevant even today. And this dude's riding around in an ambulance saving lives. Maybe right now. I don't know when his shift ends. <laughs> but that that was actually really cool to hear from someone who is working in the medical field. Right. And like actually, how big of an impact it really I w- is. I was talking with another friend who will uh, stay unnamed who was at the live show, and she was she was talking about um, a, a surgical situation and kind yeah. of venting, and I was like, Alice McGaugh would be so disappointed. And she's like, Oof. right? Yeah, like, that's one of my big fears of, like, waking up during surgery. Because I've had other surgeries where you're awake for the procedure, like minor ones where they, like, take moles off and shit, and I don't like it. It's too saw-esque for me. Don't yeah. like it. I don't like when someone's cutting into my body and I can see it, but I can't feel it. Bugs the crap out of me. So, like, to wake up in the middle of, like, a full-blown surgery, I'd probably just die of, like, heart failure because I'd be 100%. so terrified. 100%. I am. Um, so, I've had a colonoscopy and two flex sigs. Uh, a flexible sigmoidoscopy is, like, where basically they, they go up part way but they don't make any turns right or left like up your colon and for that they give you the option whether or not you want drugs and I'm like I'm sorry you're sticking a camera up my ass and you're asking if I want drugs yes please and it is amazing and I'm so and like even though that's conscious anesthesia it makes the experience so much more relaxed and it even makes it easier for the practitioners because I'm not sitting there freaking out because I'm having a camera shoved up my ass. I think the ceiling tiles are collapsing. And I look at the nurse, the, the, like the nurse and I'm like, okay, I know the answer to this, but are the ceiling tiles collapsing on me right now? She's like, no, honey, that's just the drugs. I'm like, that's what I thought. I just need you to confirm that for me. And then I was fine. I was the perfect patient. Cause I was so fucking high. <laughs> I'm so fucking high. Um, yeah, I'm having a camera stuck up my butt. Of course I'm going to be fucking high for it. I just remember when, I can't remember if it was for a colonoscopy or for my actual surgery, but like 
the one nurse could not get my IV in. Like, could not. Like, brought in the little machine that does the thing so they can, like, see your veins. Could not get my IV in. This other nurse walks in, was like, what's wrong? And the guy's like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, first try. And I'm like, I kind of just, like, looked between the two nurses and I was like. Okay, one, I... (laughs) The, like, the, I have shitty veins. Like, well, uh, not shitty veins. The my veins are fine. My my veins roll though. But the guy yeah. literally tried like ten times. Yeah, and I just thought it was so funny that the other guy like walked in and was like, "Oh, moves it like an inch to the right for a shot." And I'm like, "When when we were in college, like, thanks. For- I think you might have helped take me to the hospital. I did. I got really sick. Well, you took me to the hospital multiple times. So <laughs> let's see if you remember this specific Ooh. incident. I'm so unhealthy." <laughs> But no, I I had gotten really sick, a lot of throwing up. I was dehydrated. I was like lying on the floor in my dorm room. And I'm like, I can't move. Like, I'm just, I'm so fucked up. So like my roommate and you helped get me to the ER and they were trying to get an IV in me. Like I, I had like some kind of weird stomach flu bug where basically I was just so dehydrated. I was fucked. Um, and they couldn't get an IV in me because I was so dehydrated. My skin and my veins weren't cooperating. They're like, hold on, we're going to call like the uh, the local anesthetist because they are really good at poking veins. This woman walks in without like thinking or do, she just sticks the needle in my veins. And then like, she's like, we good? Cool. And leaves because they're so good at it. And I'm like, yeah. And now I realize. You got some Alice McGon, you don't you? Right. Don't you, girl? That's awesome. I much prefer to hear stories of like the really competent nurses than the ones that are like. Mm. I've had I've had very good experiences with a lot of my um like everyone's had bad experiences, okay. but I have had a lot of really good experiences, and those those really stick out because this is something they're dealing with every day, reading the same spiel, doing the same shit. Like I did it with daycare. You know, yelling at a kid to not climb up the slide. I'd done it for the billionth time that year. But that might have been the first time a kid had gotten yelled at for that. And you could kind of see in their eyes when they were like, I'm like, oh, shit, that was a little too harsh. But, you know, like the medical professionals who can maintain their compassion and their empathy even after a really long time, that's something incredibly special because it means so much to the patients. It really does. And I... I remember coming out of anesthesia and crying because I was like, I'm just so grateful that everyone's being so nice to me and I'm really thankful. Like I'm like I'm a loving drunk and I'm a weepy loving coming out of anesthesia oh, yeah. patient. Yeah, a lot. Justin was thankful when he came out of anesthesia. Yeah. Like he was the like overly thankful one. I cry. I cry and thank people. Like I'm accepting the award for Miss America. I like don't remember coming out of anesthesia. Like I'm sure I did at Which one is point. kind of part of the point. Yeah. Like you don't remember part of it at the very least. So Kelly, my darling, yes. my dearest. What are you thankful for? You've had a whole month to think about it. I am, but I'm gonna use a cop out kind of, but not really. No, no. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> We're fighting now. Uh, well, I was going to say I'm thankful to be podcasting again, but I'm also thankful. No, I, you're not. I am. I'm also thankful that I graduated, like that I'm done. I. It's okay. still weird. Like it's still sinking in. I never 
didn't believe you could do it. But like thinking back that it, it was like one of the first times that we saw each other in person during the pandemic, it was like late in the summer, we're outside, we're masked up and we're talking about you going to school and all this. And I'm like, you being done just seems so far away. And here we are. We've been through a pandemic. We've been through several more years of the podcast, our first live show, countless other miscellaneous bullshit. And here you are with your master's degree in psychology as a practicing therapist. (laughs) This bitch is fixing human beings. She is 100% that bitch. (laughs) Even when I'm crying crazy. She's my therapist. It's fine. It's fine. It's Everything's totally, fine. It's totally Everything's healthy. Fine. We're not codependent. It's fine. <laughs> no, I'm I'm so proud of you because like realistically two years, uh, two years, that's, you know, no, but like being in it. And again, I was, I okay, three years, sorry. But I was not in it, but still I was like, oh my God, I, that yeah. feels like so long ago. You talking about starting and here you are and you've worked so incredibly hard you've been through so fucking much personally academically everything and you've still accomplished so much personally academically and everything else and I just I'm so proud of you because I was struggling during those three years and I just had a job in a podcast yeah. I didn't have any other shit going on I mean you you had other shit going on well I have an abusive relationship yeah. with my cat <laughs> that that's a whole other story it's fine that's just called having a cat but yeah I'm I'm just I'm so incredibly proud of you Kelly and like even when we were in college in 2009 when we met you always talked about wanting to go in psychology into psychology and like you've done it you have your master's this is always your plan you fucking did it thanks that means a lot. And that's incredible. And don't tell me, well, anyone could have done it or I didn't do anything. You fucking did the damn thing. And you're going to help so many people. And even outside of your profession, you do and are going to help so many people in ways that you don't even understand or may never understand. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm done. Oh. <laughs> I'm done. Cop out. We're good. We're good. We're End good. of episode. End of episode. I'm very thankful to be back though. I, yeah. I, I, so when I originally suggested to Kelly that we take a break, she's like, okay, like, you know, like a temporary ro- break like, or like, are we ending the podcast? Like Ross, are we on a break? We were on a break or like, you know, no, I just, I was doing a lot of traveling. Kelly was finishing her, her master's. I thought it was a really good time for us to take an intentional break instead of a, I'm dying and I can't record tonight kind of break. Right. And it was really good for both of us. And I think we're both ready to come back with even more punchiness and drunkenness. And I missed wine. Not that I didn't drink wine, but I missed this kind of wine drinking. Like I missed you as a whole, but I I also missed like what we have as this podcast. Yes. And before I die full, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find links to all of those websites as well as links to our merch and our Patreon where you can donate for as little as one dollar. One dollar. Also, we, oh, should I should have said this at the top. What? Fuck.
fuck. I'm so bad. You can say it at the top of the next episode. Okay, it's fine. Uh, we are now launching our new Bias a Glass of Wine program. So you can go to our link tree on our Instagram or our Facebook page and just, you can donate one, three, five dollars and buy us a glass of wine and we will shout you out the top of the episode we will say very nice things about you if you have a personal project as long as it's not super racist or misogynistic or homophobic i'm talking to you kkk we will promote your shit i like that you think they listen to us hey no way keep your friends close but your enemies closer the KKK is like listening. codependent rocking chair close. I fucking see you, Grand Wizard bullshit. <laughs> you fucking assholes. Hot takes. We're against the KKK. <laughs> so yeah, you'll be able to find all of that on our website. And our link tree on Instagram. Yeah. Buy us a glass of wine. We'll cheers right. to you. So the just for people who don't know, the buy a glass of wine or buy me a coffee is like a one-time thing. Patreon is a monthly thing. Yeah. So like if you're just like leaving us a five star review is a free thing. It's a free forever thing. We love it. Um, even if you want to leave us like a bitchy review, like if you're the if worst people ever, but here's serious, five dollars. If you're looking for a serious history slash, you know, lecture slash discussion on history, this is not the podcast for you. At least make it five stars for being the antithesis of that. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another podcast episode another podcast the the pee is getting to your brain of whining about history i'm emily i'm kelly (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) like i don't know my brain was just like and we're done it's been a minute and have an empowered day y'all bye oh oh